We taught last Sunday concerning the mighty baptism of the Spirit and uh, taught about how the Holy Spirit fell on 120 people in an upper room. And uh, a number of people responded to that message right away, uh, six or seven uh, people received the baptism of the Spirit last Sunday. And uh, we rejoice over that. We want that to happen every Sunday. <coughs> Jared was teaching last Sunday night, and he said, baptism in water is, is down and up. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is in and out. We want that, we want that reflex. We want that to happen. Um, people were responsive last week to the message uh, but people also came to me with questions, and very sincere questions. And the question is, I've heard from a couple people last week. <clears throat> they said, I, I thought I had received the Holy Spirit, but I can't tell you that there's any power in my life. I can't tell you where I see him at work and demonstrations of power like you talked about. I just don't see that. I just can't tell you honestly, where I'm seeing the power of God at work in my life. And uh, so I, I t answered their question best I could. And I just thought I'd weave that into the message this morning. I think there's others who are probably struggling with that. <clears throat> you heard the teaching. Jesus said, you shall receive power. So it's not Pastor Penn uh, saying you shall receive power. It's not some old Pentecostal preacher that says you shall receive power. It's Jesus said, you shall receive power. But the reality is, is many of us don't live in that kind of power. And I thought we would try to address that today. Let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. Uh, Peter exhorted them. He preached on the day of Pentecost. Save yourself from this perverse generation, verse 40. Verse 41, those who received the word were baptized. So immediately they stepped out in obedience and about 3,000 souls were added to them, added to the 120. Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And it says the fear, uh, then fear came upon every soul and many signs, many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And those who believed had all things in common. They didn't claim to, to own everything. They just were so concerned about each other's needs. And so this tremendous uh, influx of grace came in, and immediately they started giving. Immediately they started caring in ways that they had not cared before. They stayed in the, the apostles' teaching. They stayed in fellowship. They committed themselves to prayer meetings. They stayed together. Uh, I was in India back in March, and uh, it's been a... Very rarely do I go to a place where I see the glory of the Lord, like I saw in the churches there upon the Christians, and see the, uh, just the wonder. Instant, instant, they're in the spirit. Instant, they're worshiping. Little kids totally clothed with the glory of God. And as we're talking, I said, you know, how did this happen? How did you get to this place? Uh, in fact, uh, their government's not letting the church reopen. Uh, they've let businesses reopen. They shut down f because of the corona uh, virus, but they've not let the churches, and there's probably no rush 
to ever do that. They don't want them to open. So our churches are meeting at 3.30 in the morning till 6.30 in the morning. So they get up in the middle of the night. They walk from their, from their houses, their adobe mud huts, and they walk through the village, and they gather together in a darkened churches, and they worship the Lord. They preach, and they pray, and they spend time together for a few hours in the Lord. I wonder if, I wonder if we could do that. You know, our level of commitment, could we invite, open the doors here at 3.30 in the morning to gather because we're so hungry to gather for fellowship and teaching and to give to each other. And, and so here we see something happen that these people, they stayed together. I asked the brothers, I said, how, how has this thing grown the way it's grown? I mean, we started with a little tiny jungle church. You know, we first formed up with 50 people, and uh, now we have like 15,000 members, and there's no end. They're just baptizing right, left, and center. They're just constantly growing. And I said, how did this happen? And, and they said three things happened. They said, when you came among us, I, I was like this the only white guy going out there in the jungle on the back of a motorcycle from village to village preaching the gospel. And they said, uh, what you brought was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that, that changed everything for us. And that's true. And, and every, every other place we go where that's, that's the missing ingredient. Uh, I've even had Mennonite brothers who've gone over there and they said, there's just something about your group. We've been to lots of other groups, but there's something about it. We said, it's the baptism of the Spirit. That's what you're seeing that's so distinct, so powerful. They said, the second thing you did that really helped us is you, in, in, in 1996, you helped create a fellowship called Word of Grace Fellowship, and that has kept us together. That gave us a, a unifying point of being together. We see this here, that it wasn't this, that people got saved, baptized in water, baptized in the Spirit, and then dispersed. They stayed together. We see that they gathered together steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So there's a place where they could be taught, and so that's something that's happened in place where they can have fellowship, where they can break bread together, and where they can pray together. And then we see in verse 43 where lots of miraculous signs and wonders were taking place. So that's the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, but that's, there's a context for it. They said the third thing that happened, they could only think of three things that would account for the, the life, the quality of spiritual life. They said the, th the third thing that happened was persecution. And they don't say that like it's a swear word. When they talk about persecution, uh, they never ask you to pray that it will stop. They just want to be able to stand. They just want to be able to endure. And so persecution has helped. I remember one time when I went over there when they were just really going through a lot of persecution. They had killed one of our pastors. They had uh, broken, tried to burn our buildings and, and uh, just a horrible uh, violent rage that was unleashed and allowed by the government against our churches. And when I went over to be with them, because I, I couldn't have respected myself if I stayed home and they're going through that, not, go, not be in it with them. And um, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and look over, and there they would they'd be sitting on their beds, clothed with the glory of God, clothed with, with light, lost in the spirit, lost in prayer. It was enviable to see this. So verse 46, that they, they continued daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, 
They ate their food with gladness. So they stayed in fellowship. It's not just getting saved. It's, it's staying together. There's something powerful about doing that. Now, in chapter 3, Peter and John, they went up to the temple, and they had set uh, religious times to pray, and they just kept with that. They would meet in the temple. They had a space. It was a massive piece of real estate, and they could have meetings there, and other people would not even know that it's happening, and that yet they still went from house to house. And so Peter and John were just doing what they normally would do. They were heading off to the temple for the uh, uh, hour of prayer Ninth hour, I think it's three o'clock in the afternoon. So they're just doing what they normally would do. Then they came upon a certain man who had been lame from his from from birth, and uh, he's there begging. And 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 I think they had passed him before. Very likely, he's a fixture. He's been there. I believe Jesus passed him before. He's going through the gate. Beautiful. It's a very typical gate. I've been through that area. I know where this has taken place. And uh, he's carried there, he's there, and he's got his tin cup, and he's expecting to receive something. People having compassion on him because he's never walked. He can't walk, he can't work, he can't go anywhere. And uh, Peter and uh, this man had eye contact, a little bit of eye contact. And he supposed that Peter would give something, uh, and Peter fixed his eyes on him and says, look at us. So... All of a sudden now he's connected. And Peter says, I don't have any money. I don't have silver or gold to give you. But what I have, I give you. I give you the name of Jesus. I give you what I have. What I have, I have something to give away. So something happened as they're walking by. This reflux happened, reflex happened in the heart of Peter where all of a sudden He's passed by there before, but all of a sudden he has this passion, this desire to give. And, and rather giving the guy money, which he didn't have, he says, what I, will, what I will do is I'll give you what I do have. And he reached down and pulled the guy to his feet. He's never walked before. If you've ever seen someone who's never walked before, they don't have legs, typical legs. Legs don't develop. Muscles don't develop. Bones don't develop. They look like flippers. This guy had never walked before, and Peter pulled him to his feet. In an instant, his legs grew out. In an instant, he didn't have to learn to walk. In an instant, he's walking, running, jumping, and leaping. It all happened in a moment. Now, that's power. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter, when they gathered around, they went crazy. This guy, he's going crazy. And uh, Peter, look at verse 12. Peter says, men of Israel... You marvel at this, but don't look so intently at us as though through our own power or our own godliness, we've made this man to walk. I think what happens that keeps the power of God from happening in our, in our lives is we link it completely to godly, godliness. And, and the fact is, I never feel godly enough. I can think of a lot of reasons why God shouldn't use me. And, and I never feel right enough I know, in myself. I can't do enough right. The only time I find any peace is when I rest in and I just take his righteousness as a gift, as clothing, and I rest in his righteousness. But Peter's on to something. We've equated the baptism of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to our own godliness, and, and it kind of like as a disqualifier. 
So most of us would never reach down. You can imagine, he didn't even ask the guy for permission. He didn't go home and fast and pray about it. He didn't do anything. What he followed was something that went off in his heart, this desire to give. That's the whole context of this. And he reached down. He didn't even ask the guy for permission. He pulled him to his feet. That level of boldness, that level of, of audacity came from the Holy Spirit, not from Peter. And all he did was yield to it. This man now is walking and leaping. He says, even the faith, you could say, well, he had great faith. Look at verse 16. He says, even the faith is not of ourselves. Even this faith that we have is a gift from God. It's not us. Well, he preaches. He takes the opportunity, and he really lays in to the crowd. This guy running and leaping. They all knew him. Now he's got legs under his tunic that work. And he's standing there. Can you imagine never having walked before and all of a sudden you can run and leap and jump? And, and so Peter lays in the gospel, the very simple gospel. He preaches about Jesus being uh, crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. He goes to work at it. Now, chapter 4, if you follow with me, chapter 4, verse 1. They're not there very long. They're preaching. Uh, I estimated, because uh, this is at the end of the day, so it started at 3 o'clock. This is now getting to the end of the day. So for several hours, they were ministering to the crowd, and, um, and now all of a sudden, the police show up, temple police, and the Sadducees. Now, Sadducees don't believe in the power of God. They're a religious group. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in the power of God. They don't believe in any of that. They're in one part of their head. Then there's Pharisees that are in another part of their head. It's kind of like legalism and looseness, legalism and, and liberality, conservative and liberal. And uh, they laid hands on them. Look at verse 3. They laid hands on them, not like we did today. They laid hands on them in a negative way. And they threw them in jail. Then the next day, they got everybody. The verse 6 says the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander. I mean, they got every. They even got re, the retired priest coming in. And they set them in the midst, verse 7, and they said, By what power or by what name have you done this? Now watch verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers, and the, people of, uh, and the people and elders of Israel. So he speaks with respect. He's filled in the moment. Now Jesus, Jesus said, they're gonna, he told them before he died, he said, they're going to arrest you. They're going to arrest you. It's going to happen. And what you do is you don't premeditate on what you're going to say. Don't try to figure it out. Wait for the moment, and the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Peter's in that vein. He, he mastered that. That would be really hard to do. You know how your mind goes, if they say this, I'll say that. If they say this, this is what I'll do. Boy, if they ask this question, this is my answer. What he did is he rested in the Holy Spirit, and it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke. Hold that thought, being filled with the Spirit and speaking. So he goes to work and, and, and tells them all about Jesus being wrongly crucified. And even though it was God's plan, they participated in it. And uh, he uh, talks about the resurrection, gets down about the resurrection and sitting at the right hand of the Father. And uh, so they threatened them. 
And, uh, but they couldn't deny that there's an actual miracle. And they, they, they didn't want them preaching. They didn't want their propaganda out there. So there's really not much they could do. They look at them. They, verse 13 says, they understood. They perceived that these are ordinary men. These are ordinary, uneducated men. But they stand. They stand with a confidence. They stand with a boldness. And, and there's no contempt, but they're not complying. There's no contempt. That's really what the Anabaptists got into. They got in the vein. They said, we're not obeying you, but we're not rebellious. We don't have contempt towards authority, but we're not complying. And that balance is really hard to find. That's, that's a really masterful thing that they've come into. And they got in the huddle, and they said, who are these guys? Everybody else cowers in our presence. Everyone else, we, you know, we, we hold their destiny in our hands. These people aren't buying it, in part because they've so submitted to the king, they don't care what people think. They're going to honor him above men. Next thing you know, they threatened them, and they released them. They went back to their group. They went back to their church, to the fellowship. They let them go. And when they had gone, uh, uh, they got into this, this whole thing of praying. They decided to have a prayer meeting. It starts in verse 23 and goes on down. It talks about why the, the nations rage and the people plot vain things and the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. It's an amazing sermon. And then they, they start praying they say, Lord, here's your response that we want to the persecution, to the resistance we're feeling. We want your power. Stretch forth your hand to heal. That's an amazing response. Rather than throwing a brick through a window, you pray, you lay hands on somebody. You pray for miracles. I mean, that's the right solution. That's the right response. Show them real power. Stretch forth your hand to heal. That becomes their response, their prayer to this arrest. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They had a mini earthquake. And they were all filled with the Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Hallelujah. <clears throat> what a moment. Imagine a prayer meeting where the building's shaken. Now, that's twice we read that they were filled with the Spirit and they spoke. The third one in the book of Acts is uh, Acts chapter 19, verse 7. Peter, or Paul's now, he's in, in the game, and he's out doing mission work. And he's trying to lead this proconsul to the Lord, and this uh, uh, sorcerer there is blocking the way. And finally, Paul's filled with the Spirit, looks at him and says, You son of the devil. And he went right to work and he called, him, he called him the son of the devil and pronounced blindness on him. And they led him away with blindness. So that's the third time in the book of Acts that someone was filled with the Spirit. Now the word filled, there's two words, two Greek words for the word filled. The one, the most common one is, is you see in the Bible where, where uh, they were going to turn the water into wine and Jesus had these stone purification jars. They had... He said, fill them to the brim. Fill them to the full. And there's a Greek word that's used to, to be filled to the full. He used it another time when he's at the feast and he said, uh, uh, 
those who believe on him, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Talked about the big jars, big stone jars being filled full of water. Well, that's the word full. Then there's another word for filled that has to do with coming under the influence or being, being supplied with in the moment with something. It's being, being influenced by something. Which word do you think he was using in these verses? They weren't refilled. They weren't being topped up with a liquid Holy Spirit. In the moment, they were being inspired. And every time the Holy Spirit filled them, they spoke. Every time in the Bible, you can see they were filled with the Spirit, they spoke. <clears throat> now, here's what's happened. In the church, Christians get baptized in the Holy Spirit, just like we see in Acts chapter 2. Then we go through a period where we're not seeing anything. We're not seeing the miraculous. We're not feeling especially spirit-filled. We're not feeling especially powerful. And, and pastors know this. And so what happens in the American church, at least, is we invite people to come forward to be refilled. And then a theology was formed back in the 1970s that says the reason you need to come forward again and you need to be refilled is because you leaked. That somewhere during the wear and tear of life and buying, going to Aldi's and your car breaking down and having to spank your kids, somewhere the Holy Spirit oozed out. He leaked. There's several problems with this. We don't leak spirits. The Holy Spirit's not liquid. He's a spirit. He's a spirit. Tell the person next to you, I don't leak spirits. You don't leak spirits. <laughs> you can't leak a spirit. Spirits don't ooze out of us through osmosis or through unintentional wear and tear. It's not a lubricant that you use it more and more and you lose it. It's not, he's not oil. He's not a dove. He's not a flame. He's not a bucket of water. He's a spirit. If you leak spirits, we would never have to, have to cast a demon out of, everyone, out of anyone. All we'd have to do is wait long enough for it to leak out. We'd never have to deal with that. Eventually, they will leak, leaving some dark stain on someone's sheets. We've come up with a theology because everybody runs into that pocket where we were so, so caught up with the power, the wonder of the Holy Spirit, and then all of a sudden we kind of plateau and we go out there and it looks like nothing's happening. We've created a, a, a theology that's not biblical based on a word that isn't being used properly. Being filled. And they said, now, now that you've been Acts 2, you've had that experience. Now you need to be refilled. And they take them through the scriptures and they show them these verses that we're looking at this morning and say that's proof that they were baptized with the Spirit and then periodically refilled because they leaked. They even taught this in the Bible school where I went to. So it's common. My friends have taught this. So it's not, it's, it's a common teaching. I don't think we need to be refilled. Listen now, I think we need to use what we've already been given. I think we need to give away what we've already been given. 
And as you live a life of giving out and, and following the leading of the Spirit, where he prompts you to give and he prompts you to speak and he prompts you to, to do something that's not sociably acceptable, <clears throat> as you follow that, you'll never seek a refilling again. You'll never wonder where the Holy Spirit is. You'll never wonder whether he'll be there when you need him or whether the power will be there when you need him. He will always be there. The power will always be there. What you're missing, in part, is context. You're missing an opportunity. You're missing as you go through life. Someone's in need, and you step out, and you allow the Holy Spirit to meet that need through you. Instead, we say, well, that's the pastor's job. Who am I? And besides, I missed my prayer, my, my devotions three times this week. Like, who am I to lay hands on anybody? And we, we disqualify ourselves. We say, get someone else to pray. And they get the experience now. Listen, they get the experience, the filling of the Spirit, which is that momentary inspiration. And they go home. They say, man, I love it when the Holy Spirit uses me. He came through. He spoke through me. He touched through me. He preached through me. I love what the Holy Spirit's doing through me. And, and that person's feeling satisfied, and you go home to nothing. You go home to Netflix because that, that's, that's the highlight of your week. But it shouldn't be. What should be the highlight of the week is the Holy Spirit having used you somewhere during the week where you've yielded, where somehow you said, have, <clears throat> have your way through me. <clears throat> You're missing it. You're missing it because you're missing opportunity. The only thing these guys had was opportunity. If we packed you all up this evening, not even time to really pack a full suitcase, a little knapsack and a toothbrush, and we took you to some of the neediest places in this country, not even overseas, and we put you out there where there's a need, You'd be amazed how powerful the Holy Spirit would start beating through you and longing and leading and praying through you and preaching through you and prophesying through you because you've been put in proximity to a need. Now, if we live cloistered lives where we live isolated, sheltered, safe, sanitized lives, he has nothing to do. He doesn't come out because there's, there's nothing for him to do. I can't tell you the number of times I've taken teams, <clears throat> all kinds of people, ordinary people, just like us, ordinary people. Take them and take them someplace where they're in over their head. Take them someplace where the risk is great, greater than home, and where sin is abounding. And put them in that context, and all of a sudden, not them, the Holy Spirit starts beating in them, longing in them, longing to come out, longing to touch, longing to heal, longing to prophesy. And they start feeling like another man, and they step into it, and they start laying hands on people. They start testifying. Next thing you know, they feel now, listen now, they feel full of the Holy Ghost. Nothing has changed. The only thing that has changed is proximity. Proximity to a need. If we can take you to where the need is, you would feel filled. Because he supplies. He comes forth. He, he, he wants to thread you like a needle. He wants to come out of you. 
What they had is an opportunity because the climate was difficult. The reason they saw signs and wonders is it was tough sledding. And, and, and if you stop and think about our safe little uh, uh, spiritual climate that we've created is so sane and so safe and so, so uh, normal, we don't see signs and wonders and so we begin to doubt whether they're really there. Well, what do you need a sign and a wonder for for today? What do you need a sign and wonder for in our normal work week? Nothing. Not very much. Except this, is what we've tried to challenge you in is every time you see someone who's, who's sick and, and in need of something, step out. Follow your heart. Say, can I lay hands on you? Can I, I'm practicing. Can I pray for you? Let's see what God will do. Every time we create prayer clusters, and we're, get, we're getting back to those, every time we create them, that's the time for you to say, Holy Spirit, use me now. Someone's in need. Every time you gather together midweek for a small group meeting and someone shares a prayer request, let the Holy Spirit out. Let him pray through you. Let him prophesy through you. That's, that's where you, you'll feel satisfied and you'll never look for a, being topped up again. You'll never look for a moment where you say, I need to get to some altar and get refilled. That's nonsense. It doesn't exist. Our problem is we're not letting him out. But by and large, we're not in a context where we need to. The pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, one of the greatest churches in America, is Jim Cimbala. And he came to Penyan a few years ago to preach. I went to hear him. And one of the first things he said that shocked me, he says, uh, he said, it's harder to be a Christian in Penyan than it is in Brooklyn. I've been to his church. He's got people coming to church with knives to kill him. He's got, he's got everything happening under the sun in Brooklyn. Just the weirdest, craziest stuff happening in church Sunday by Sunday. He said, it's harder to be a Christian in Penyan than it is in Brooklyn. And my head was spinning. I thought, how could you say that? How could you say that? He says, because in Penyan, it's so nice. You don't even need Jesus. You can live your life and go along. And just life is good and life happens. In Brooklyn, he says, we need Jesus. We need, we need him to survive Brooklyn. You need the Holy Spirit in Brooklyn. So you could say, well, Pen, what are you saying? Are we to leave our beautiful little Penyan, our little uh, Swiss, Swiss uh, uh, culture here? Should we leave this? No. This is an awful nice place to, to come back to. But I think we need to go out. I think we need a steady stream of going. I think we need to, if the opportunity isn't, and by the way, the opportunity is here if you have eyes to see it. All you have to do is check out Drug Court on Thursday night you know that there's opportunity here. There's a needy, there's an element of need in this area that is shocking. It's shocking. When we started seeing that, when we, our eyes were open to that, we started preaching. We started going to jail and got in there. Nelson's been going regularly. I got in there for quite a while. And I just started preaching and, and, and letting the Holy Spirit out. I was amazed. You step up with nothing and all of a sudden he fills he supplies, he inspires, and you start saying something that's relevant and people get saved. And you go home and you feel satisfied because the Holy Spirit used you. 
Put yourself in some place of need. Put yourself in some context where he needs to come out. See, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. We just need to be able to put ourselves where there's sin. But we don't like that. <clears throat> they prayed for boldness. Verse 31, they spoke the, God, the word of God with boldness. Boldness is a key word. Boldness is, is often what we're lacking. If you're to pray for one thing, don't pray for more of the Holy Spirit. Don't pray for more power. Pray for boldness, and you'd be, you'd be surprised how much power he has that will come through you. What you're lacking is the confidence to step out, the boldness. Now, look, go with me to verse 32. Uh, so the multitude came together. They believed they're one heart, one soul. They started giving to each other. Uh, verse 33, there was great power demonstrations of the Holy Spirit. Uh, power witnessing to the resurrection that Jesus was alive. Great grace was upon them. It's a powerful, powerful picture. Now hold that right there. <clears throat> Shouldn't have had that coffee. My, my vocal cords get sticky. That's what's happening. A Mennonite guy got in my car. And he knew about our church, not this church, but another church that I pastored. And he, said, he wanted to know about us and be able to ask questions. He had a lot of questions. And, and I, I, I told him the difference in our lives, the difference in our church is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. He says, tell me about that. So I told him, he shall receive power. He said, <clears throat> very sincerely, not, no antagonism. Not an ounce of being negative. He said, but your people don't have power. I said, what do you mean? And he named names. He said, this person, who I knew, they have no power. This person has no power. This person doesn't even live godly. This person's life is a train wreck. Do they have the Holy Spirit? And I said, yes, they do. They've received the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're living this way, bouncing checks all over town. They're living this way, and he had me. I had nowhere to go except to say, you're right. The Bible says, Jesus says, you shall receive power. He said, these people, I don't see power. In fact, I don't even see real power to live godly lives among all of them. So-and-so, their mouth is a, it's just a torrent of, 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 of gossip. And, and he was naming names, and it was true. <clears throat> because you can't, the Holy Spirit didn't come to produce godliness, didn't come to produce in us a Christian character. That's what Jesus came for. But it's a matter of yielding. You could either yield to the Holy Spirit or not. You can yield to the Spirit of Christ and see the fruit of the Spirit or not. That option, that choice is always ours. Having the Holy Spirit doesn't guarantee that you'll live godly lives. Having the Holy Spirit doesn't guarantee that your life will be all in order and, and, and you'll be an, an exemplary Christian. It doesn't guarantee any of that. All you have to do is read the letters to the Corinthians to find out that Paul's saying to these spirit-filled Christians who are praying and prophesying like a house on fire that he said, you're carnal. 
You're gifted, but you're carnal. That's hard for people to get their heads around, but it's true. It's true. Acts chapter 5. There's a certain man named Ananias. And his rib's name was Sapphira. And they hatched this scheme to lie to the Holy Spirit. Everybody was giving money. Everybody was selling their land and, and bringing money and laying it down at the apostles' feet. And they would share that so that everybody had it in common. Their bills were paid. Everyone's fed. It's an amazing flush of grace. And they, said, they went home to their little apartment, and they said, let's you and I do that. We'll sell the land. We'll keep a bunch of it. We got this. I want this. I want this vacation. I always wanted these pearls. I always wanted this. So let's just say that we gave it all. Let's, let's just, and they hatched it. And it, was, it was premeditated. It was planned. It was intentional. And they came, and they actually lied to the leadership of the church. Peter's, Peter called them out on it in public. In public. This is New Testament. This is not even weeks away from the day of Pentecost. Who were Ananias and Sapphira? They had been baptized. They had been baptized in water. Very likely they were been baptized in the Holy Spirit because that was normal. That was expected. Today we've divided it all up. Back then it was just all part and parcel to the whole Christian life. And they lied to the Holy Spirit. How could that happen in New Testament? <clears throat> How could that happen in, and Peter's the pastor of the whole thing. How could that happen in his church? How could it happen in a church so pure, so powerful, so, so, so perfect? <laughs> well, it did. It did. Because the baptism of the Spirit doesn't guarantee people won't do crazy things. The baptism of the Spirit doesn't guarantee godliness. People sit home and they watch, they watch our, our charismatic television and read charismatic magazines and see all the crazy things that are done by charismatics and they scratch their head and they say, well, these keep, people keep talking about that they have power, that they have the, a mighty Holy Spirit. And look at the shenanigans. Look at the stuff that they do leaving their wife to find someone, others, someone else's woman. I mean, just crazy stuff that's happening all the time. They read about it. They look at it. It's deeply, deeply embarrassing. We can't explain it. We can't justify it, but it's a fact. I wish it was, I wish it was so that as soon as you got baptized in the Holy Spirit, that was it. No more sin, no more temptation, no more issues, no more... Uh, you're cured, you're whole, you're, you're purified, and it was your, your whole life was squared away. Wouldn't that be something? What a selling feature that would be. Who wouldn't want the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The problem with this is the Holy Spirit is not for character. It's to give you power to make a difference everywhere you go. It's to have something to give away. It's to have something that will impact the lives of other people so that they can trust Jesus. It's not, it's not intended to... To be the power that changes your character. That's what, that's what the Spirit of Christ does. But you can yield. They chose not to yield. They chose not to yield. He said, you're lying to the Holy Ghost. He fell down dead. Peter didn't pronounce death on him. He just fell down. He just had a stroke right there. Just poof, died. 
in church. Can you imagine a meeting like that? And people said, we're not going to that church. That's, that's actually what happened. They said, we're not going to that church. <clears throat> I think God needed something that in the beginning to put, the fear, put his fear in people. To help them understand this is, not, this is not child play. This is not games. And Peter was being used by the Holy Spirit to reveal what was taking place. When people say, are, are charismatics sometimes carnal? I say, yes, yes. Read, read 1 Corinthians. You don't have to go any further than 1 Corinthians. You, could go back, you can go back to Samson. Samson, the Holy Spirit would come upon him. He'd save the day, tear the gates off the city, and then go sleep with a prostitute. And people would scratch their heads and say, how is that possible? He's, <clears throat> he's gifted, but he's carnal. And it happens to us. The only thing that can maybe bring you out of that isn't being constantly clothed to the power of God, constantly living on the mission field. In fact, if we transplanted this to India or to Africa, it wouldn't be long that we'd have some of the same problems we have back home here because you're, you're still you. None of us are into this thing full board. None of us are fully on, fully, fully flowing with the Holy Spirit. I don't know anybody who is, including me. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way in your life. It doesn't work that way in my life. It didn't work that way in the apostles' life. Here's Peter. If you keep reading, by the way, <clears throat> uh, his shadow was healing people. <laughs> God's using him in a mighty way. <clears throat> Angels get him out of prison. I mean, he is an amazing apostle. And then you read Galatians chapter 1 where, where Paul confronts him publicly for hypocrisy. Peter. What had happened was Paul was out doing mission work and had led these young Gentiles to Christ. They're spirit-filled, they're on fire, they're in a discipleship class, and Peter comes to town. Can you imagine that? Peter, Peter comes to town, they all know who he is, They've all, they all know the Bible stories, they all know about Peter, and Peter comes to town. And, and Paul introduces them and said, guys, hey, uh, stop our class here for a minute, I want to introduce you, this is, this is Peter. This is, this is Peter who walked on water. This is Peter who threw a hook in the, in the sea and brought out a fish that had gold coins in his mouth. This is Peter. And, the, and the, imagine the young disciples saying, this is Peter. And they sat down and had all these questions. What was it like to pray? With Je what was Jesus like in this? What happened here? Tell us about the transfiguration. Tell us when you're on that mountain, you heard the voice of God. What was that like? And he's telling them Holy Ghost stories. And it's, it's an amazing experience. What a discipleship class that would have been. And they're loving him. They love Peter. They love the stories. This is firsthand accounts. This is eyewitness accounts of, of the most amazing piece in human history. And then all of a sudden, you can hear the violins going deep. And all of a sudden, the black-robed, brothers coming in from Jerusalem and they're fully legalistic and they got their long beards bobbing and Peter knows who they are and Peter if Peter if they see Peter having lunch with Gentiles he's in big trouble 
So they come walking in, and next thing you know, you know, up until this, the first few days, Peter's elbow to elbow at the picnic table. He's having meals with them. He's telling them one Holy Ghost. He's talking about the shadow healing the sick. He's talking about the man at the gate beautiful being pulled out by his feet. What was that like? And he tells them the story. And then all of a sudden, these guys show up, and, and the next thing you know, he sits at a different picnic table. And he won't eat with the Gentiles because he's afraid that these guys will take him the task for, because you're not allowed, you're not allowed to eat with Gentiles. And the young guys, they're saying, what, what, what's going on here? What's happening here? This is, this is Peter. He didn't even say hi to me today. He didn't even look at me today. He won't sit with us today. Can you imagine if, if Paul let that go, the bitterness, the resentment, the disillusion that would set in, if he just let that go? And because it's public, Paul gets up and looks at Peter and calls him out in front of everybody. He has to because he did it publicly. He has to. He called Peter out and said, you're not eating with the Gentiles today? And he called him he called him on dissimulation, which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is an acting term. It's being one way on the, on the inside, but a totally different way on the outside. And Peter's acting on the outside like he has nothing to do with these Gentiles. And on the inside, he, he was trying to love them and relate to them. He's caught in that dualism. He's caught in that crazy, crazy thing called hypocrisy. And Paul called him out and called him a hypocrite. Called it a sin. He had to because he couldn't let these young guys go off in the ministry. And every time they think of the Holy Ghost, every time they think of ministry, every time they think of power, they think of Peter. What a disappointment Peter was. I met the biggest and the best, and he was a dud. I met the biggest and the best, and he was a hypocrite. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that wreck you for the power of God? All of us have been disillusioned by someone we thought was supposed to be held up as the poster boy for the spirit-filled life. We found out they were normal. We found out they had issues. We found out they weren't whole. All of us have had disillusions with that. And I think it keeps us back from being used by God. And the only way I know to move past that is to say, what is that between me and Jesus? What is that between me and me being used by the Holy Spirit? What kind of spirit-filled witness will I be? What kind of spirit-filled Christian will I be? That's, that's all that really matters. What kind of spirit-filled Christian will you be? What's your excuse? You have none because you have the Holy Spirit. All of this is an amazing thing that helps me to realize that none of us are completely whole. None of us are home free. None of us are completely safe. It's a walk. It's a work it's a walk in progress. It's a work in progress. None of us have arrived. <clears throat> but until then, I keep myself alive by constantly reading Jesus, going back to Jesus. Jesus is the model, not pastor so-and-so, not preacher so-and-so, not TV evangelist. It's Jesus. I keep my eyes on Jesus. Jesus was powerful, godly, filled with the Holy Spirit, and mightily used by God. He's my model. He's my, he's my go-to. I have to keep my eyes on Jesus. Then I go through the book of Acts, and it helps keep me sane. Then there's a few other writers that, I, that, that God has used to inspire me in the past, and I keep reading these old yellowed books. 
because they keep me focused. They keep me hungry. They keep me satisfied. And the other thing I do is I continually place myself out of my comfort zone in places where there's a point of need, where sin is abounding, and that keeps me fresh because then I'm being used by the Holy Spirit in ways that I'm not being used when I'm just at home in the lounger. It's just not the same. I need to put myself in a place of need, in a place of risk, in a place where the Holy Spirit can fill me in the moment, speak through me, pray through me, touch through me, heal through me. I have to put myself in the proximity of need. Amen? You'll never have to pray. I'll never invite you. I never have in 10 years. I never will. I'll never invite you. Listen, I'll never invite you to come forward to be refilled. But what I'll be a broken record on continually is yield. Let them out. Put yourself in a place where he can thread you like a needle. He wants to. Amen? Let's pray. Excuse my, my sticky throat here. It's not sore. I'm not, I have no sickness. I have no virus. I just sticky throat. Can we pray together? Why don't we stand? Why don't you put your hand right on your own heart? Say, Father, thank you for the mighty Holy Spirit. I'm so grateful for this gift. So grateful for this great grace that you've given me. I want him to use me. I want him to make a difference everywhere I go. Holy Spirit, pray through me. Prophesy through me. Witness through me. Magnify Jesus through me. Use me. Use me. Use me everywhere I go. Is that your prayer? Is that your heart's desire? Jesus, thank you for your examples. Thank you for the way you chose to live, to be an example to us. We want to be like you. In this climate, in this crisis, in these days, use us. I pray in Jesus' name.